my educational background was not superlative by any means. Yeah, I took the easiest courses I could find. Sociology, archaeology. When I was in Carolina, I was, uh, I'm not going to say a party animal, but uh, I'd like to party. How does an English major with very little business background end up taking 17 companies to the New York Stock Exchange? That's a lot of companies. How does he learn? You see people operate and you just, you sort of, by osmosis, you you pick it up. Who does he watch? Uh, I started with uh, Jack Massey, who's probably the most noted and famous entrepreneur out of Nashville. Massey was not a teacher, though, by any means. Today on Circle Back, a self-proclaimed people investor. It's what I think separates me from a lot of venture capitalists. I'm more involved with the people. My name is Lucius Burge. I'm in the venture capital business and have been uh, for the last 30 years. From the Chase Studio at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, this is Circle Back. Where we trace the life cycle of the startup from bright idea to big payoff. I'm your host, Clark Buckner. Part of my family was the Polk family, and part of it the Birch family. The Birch family tree has deep roots that produced some rare fruit. So it, you marry the two together and you can get it back pretty far. Branches that led to two U.S. presidents, Andrew Jackson. And James K. Polk. And forefathers who founded two significant southern cities, Charlotte and Nashville. That's exactly right. Lucius Birch. I'm the third. He has a reputation to uphold, practically from birth. His grandfather was the first head of Vanderbilt Medical School. His father, a renowned surgeon. He had an uncle who's remembered as one of the great American civil rights lawyers, once representing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Which at that time, for a Southern lawyer to be involved with was highly controversial. Um, as a student, I was not very good. Uh, I wasn't bad, but I wasn't good. We used to terrorize the neighborhood and that sort of thing. Uh, I had a good time as a kid. I mean, I was I was not a hellion, but I was not a I was not a student either. I was mischievous, I would say. I went to MBA uh, seventh and eighth grade, and then I went to Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia. And frankly, probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it got me out of Nashville, got me away from family, got me away from being, uh, it put me on my own, which was a good thing. It gave me some discipline, which I didn't have much of. 
and uh, I made some great friends, and that led me to Carolina, which was the next best thing that happened to me. The whole experience in Carolina was just wonderful for me. I was, I was in, I thought, the best fraternity. I was a DKE, Delta Kappa Epsilon. And uh, they were the premier, and they still are one of the premier. in the Gimgu Castle, which is a secret organization. Gimgu Castle. In the fall of 1889, five male students at the University of North Carolina formed a secret society. The fraternal organization adopted the legend of Peter Drombul, a student who disappeared and was thought to have died close to campus. They tap you to get in it. They only probably take 10 people a year. It's a, it's a castle. They have a castle. They have a ground with a castle on it. It's, I mean, it's a big castle, too. With little purpose other than a social club, the Order of the Gimgul and its intriguing castle are no more mysterious than any other fraternity. We'd meet and eat there and picnic there and dance there and have parties there. But by calling themselves a secret society, they ensure that the legend lives on and will keep students talking for years to come. When real life called, Lucius would go from UNC to NYC. Moved to New York City, lived up on 232nd Street in New York, which I think the subway stops at 239th or 38th. And so from there all the way down to Wall Street, it was a long ride. From that secret society to another world of mystery. I didn't know what a debit or a credit was when I went to work up there, okay? I mean, seriously. I had very little business background. At lunchtime, I'd go over to my friends across the street and watch the tape and trade stocks. And so I got interested, I got interested in the stock market. And the best lessons would come from a bartender named Bobby. And Bobby was probably, at that time, he was probably the, he was one of the first what you would call gunslingers on Wall Street. And Bobby started with $10,000 and built it into over a couple of million. For the better part of two years, Lucius took that long subway ride to J.P. Morgan. Threw me into, you know, financial analysis, and 
I ended up going to NYU Business School and taking several courses. And so I learned quite a bit while I was at Morgan. I was doing credit analysis. For the, you'd write up credit reports on companies that, that were, frankly, were no-brainers because Morgan just didn't do business with anybody. I mean, you you got to have a certain sort of net worth to walk in the door over there. Actually, I left Morgan in about two and a half years and went to work for uh, Picard and Company, which is the name of them firm uh, there. They were a member firm of the New York Exchange. I was an analyst and a broker. Then I went to work for a guy named Bobby Loans, L-O-H-N-E-S. Bobby was, Bobby had been a bartender at a place called Lake Club, which I happened to be a member of. He was probably trading $10 million of positions. And uh, I watched him and learned from him about trading stocks. And he was damn good at it. He was a chartist, so he would chart stocks. And I think his knowledge of charting and his ability to visually see the chart while he's trading. I don't, I never really sort of analyzed what made him good. He was just good. I mean, he had, he had companies hire him to paint the tape in their stock. Having watched a clever guy make a quick fortune, Lucius headed home to Nashville. I was married while I was in college. Uh, I got married my junior year. And uh, when my children got to be where they were going to school, I determined when they went to New York that we were going to come back home when they started school. The day I landed in Nashville, I picked up a paper at the airport, a banner. And uh, there was an article on the front page said Jack Massey and John Neff start investment advisory firm. Massey was close to Dr. Birch, Lucius's dad. Not necessarily close like pals. They were office neighbors. Massey's surgical supply was right next door to the Birch Clinic on West End. And the parking lot behind the Birch Clinic was owned by Massey, and my father negotiated with Massey and bought it and put it in mine and my brother's name. So we owned the parking lot, and he'd pay us $100 a month each for for the right to park there. So I had a connection with Massey, but was it remote? So I called up Massey when I got home and said, uh, you know, I'm Lucius Birch. I'm Dr. John's son. I just got back from New York, and I'm here in Nashville, and I'm, I want to apply for a job. He said, well, son, I've got, you'll be about the hundredth one that's one, that's called to apply for a job. You're down the list. We'll get to you. About a week later, I got a call from him from 
from New York. He was up here, and he said, John Knapp's going to be in town this weekend. I want you to go meet with him. And uh, I did. And John Knapp hired me. And that put a young Lucius Birch right next to the man who would become Nashville's most influential entrepreneur and investor. You see, Jack Massey had sold his surgical supply company and bought, of all things, Kentucky Fried Chicken. He bought Kentucky Fried Chicken from Colonel Sanders. He got into finance and restaurant equipment. And so that's how I got met Colonel Sanders. Years ago when I had my own restaurant, most popular item on the menu was fried chicken. Colonel Sanders and Massey didn't get along particularly well, but the Colonel respected Massey and thought he was smart. And when the Colonel decided to sell, he called Massey and said, I would like you to sell it for me. To begin with, I'm particular about the kind of chicken I use. They have to be government-inspected, grade-A broiler fryers, and they have to be fresh. Massey said, Colonel, I'd like to buy it. And uh, Colonel said, you wouldn't pay me a fair price. Massey said, well, why don't you write down what you think it's worth? I'll write down what I think it's worth. And if there's anywhere close, we can, we can do a deal. Well, the minute I tasted that chicken, I knew I'd made the best fried chicken that had ever been cooked. They both wrote down $2 million. He bought the company for $2 million. The colonel had a a portrait of him done in a black suit that he gave to Massey. And he gave to Massey and said, when you look at this, always remember I'm the boss. They were contentious. They were an odd pair. I mean, Massey didn't even go to his funeral. I always did cook good chicken. It wasn't long before Jack Massey was elbow deep in the food business, with Lucius trusted to make the deals work. He had cash, and we were investing in various other different things. So after he bought Kentucky Fried Chicken, he started franchising. He bought the other franchise companies, McDonald's, the Lums, the National House of Pancakes, those kind of companies. And, you know, frankly, he was a guy that'd go to a cocktail party and Somebody bring him a deal, and he'd say, "Okay, that's that's how we got in the venture capital business." Is we, he would bring a deal in, and it's a structured, and you know we're going to do this, and I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'd figure out how to structure it, and as it evolved, I mean, we'd structure it, we'd sell it, we'd finance it. We'd manage it, we'd realize on it, and nobody was paying us, except for Massey. And Massey was doing all this for his friends, and nobody was paying him. And that's how we started Massey Birds, because we had a business, but we weren't collecting. One of their first big projects would become a gold mine. It came about when I started. A sort of... Holiday Inn approach to hospitals. The idea was 
to put together a chain of hospitals similar to what Kimmons Wilson had done with the hotel business, Holiday Inns. They bought a lot of little hospitals and little towns in Tennessee to start off with. They had like 10, 11 little hospitals. I knew it was going to work. And I kept wanting to get stock. But of course, at then, it was a private deal. And they bought Parkview. All those doctors got stock in HCA. My father didn't believe that doctors ought to own the hospital that they operated out of. That's just the way he thought. As I say, he was not an entrepreneur. But some of that stock was trading around, and it was kept going up and up and up. And you just sort of knew they had a winner there. We know it now as HCA. I think that Massey had a third, the Friss had a third, and the Hookers had a third. Actually, Massey bought the Hookers out several years into it. I think he paid them $25 million for their, their third. First big deal that I was responsible for was a company called Intermedics. And Intermedics was a pacemaker company located in Texas. Massey came back from an American Heart meeting down, down in Florida, and I picked him up at the airport, and he gave me a note, and he said, said Intermedics, Pacemakers, Texas. Okay? And uh, said, find out about it. Um, these people, my doctors and heart doctors down in the convention told me that this is going to be a really successful company, and they got a great product. I said, I want you to find out about it. At that point in time, it had just done $2 million, and they were estimating they were going to $9 million that year. And we bought uh, like 20% of it that year. With a better product. And at that time, a pacemaker was about the size of a pack of cigarettes. His was about the size of a matchbook. And a targeted sales approach. Those salesmen, I mean, they knew the doctors, they knew the market. You could say they never missed a beat. They went from $2 million to $9 million to $29 million to $49 million. That was the first couple of years. It was a high-growth business. Went public. We did a public offering on it. I bought a $200,000 worth of stock. Our private placement offering, and that was the first big lick I ever made. I think I ended up making about $8 million on, on that deal. And he was just 37 years old. When we come back, from hamburgers to frozen human organs, Massey Birch continued to invest in winners. I want to take a quick moment and invite you to listen to one of our new shows, Twin Day. It's all about rethinking entrepreneurship. In Kiswahili, Twin Day means let's go. And it's our rally cry here at the EC for founders of color. This show shares the name with our statewide program dedicated to leveling the playing field for black and Latinx founders. 
We'll bring in guests to engage in open and honest conversations with incredible Black and Latinx business experts, investors, and other successful founders located throughout Tennessee and other parts of the United States. In each episode, you'll hear from successful founders and entrepreneurial innovators of color who take the time to circle back to share peaks and valleys of their journeys. We'll also illuminate the hurdles and opportunities that exist within the larger world of startups, venture capital, and business more broadly. Join us and get the latest updates at ec.co slash twindaypodcast. Now, back to the show. When you're in the business and you hold up your hands and say, I'm financing startup companies, people come to you. You don't you don't have to market your service. Dave Thomas. I started Wendy's with one restaurant and a philosophy. Give customers more than great food. Give them great people. When Dave Thomas started Wendy's. Massey and, and Thomas were close friends from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Lucius Birch took a scouting trip. We had looked at buying the franchise in Nashville, but actually it, he ended up selling to somebody else. Anyway, I went down to Memphis to see the opening down there, and uh, it was cars lined up around the street. Wendy's ain't no Lined up at the first drive through fast food window, they would invest a couple hundred thousand dollars in Wendy's. Well, more importantly than that, we ended up owning the franchise rights for South Carolina, part of Louisiana, and part of California. Moving beyond the food business to a company called Cryolife. Cryolife was in the business of cryopreserving, freezing human organs from meniscus to valves to various different parts of the human body. We took that public and that went on the New York Stock Exchange too. Along the way, we developed contacts with other people, and we were going the money management business. Okay, I mean, portfolio management, asset management business. And one account was Bob Fisher, the Fisher Body family from Detroit, and Bob had a very unique situation in that he'd invented the seat belt buckle. And he was getting 25 cent royalty off every buckle. Okay, they're making 10 million cars, got four buckles. <laughs> you can do the math. <laughs> Hell, all of a sudden, we had 13 or 14 people working for us. And I will tell you that every year our revenue went up and our margins went up every year. I managed that company good. We had a good company. It was really a good cash flow machine. And uh, 
We're good business. But if you ask Birch about his favorite business, he doesn't hesitate to say CCA, Corrections Corporation of America, now branded as Core Civic. Yet another totally different industry. I'd read an article in in a magazine that the Chief Justice of the United States then had said that the biggest problem in the justice system is that the is in the penitentiaries. We don't have enough space and all of them overcrowded and in violation of the law. And I sort of thought that was interesting. And I I mentioned to John Neff that I was interested in the prison industry and what they'd done in the hospital industry, we ought to be able to do in the prison industry. Tom Beasley was chairman of the Republican Party at that time. And Neff and Beasley met in the elevator and Neff said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm trying to start a prison company. And Neff said, you ought to go see Lucia Spurge. And he did, he came over and literally in the first meeting, I shook hands with him and bought 50% of the company of the concept for $500,000. And agreed to raise them $3 million at a $10 million valuation. And we raised the $3 million for them a couple of months afterwards. The first half a million dollars would become? 40 times what it was. Maybe more, I don't know. I never figured it out. It was my idea. And we were looking for an operator. And Beasley walks in. And he had the same idea that you don't have to have a tech guru, you know, a $200,000 CEO. You're talking about a prison guy, a warden. Knowing a good idea when he hears it and knowing what to do to make it profitable. That's what pulled others to Birch like a magnet. He's back a who's who of Southern entrepreneurs. Most days, I just deal with the fact that I have narcolepsy and I've accepted it. In the late 90s, I have my medication. It was Jeff Arnold who wanted to bring reliable healthcare information to the internet. My head is always in the clouds because narcolepsy is a sleep disorder that causes people to be excessively tired during the day. I could Remember WebMD? Realizing that I'm asleep. At one time, my holdings in WebMD were worth $200 million. And, uh, Jeff, uh, he's got the best Rolodex of anybody I know. He's an extremely good entrepreneur with all the right instincts. It's hard not to miss Jeff Arnold, I'll tell you. You're right. Just like the need for prison space, Lucius Birch recognized a huge market for recovery therapy and invested in American addiction centers. That's Michael Cartwright. Michael knows the addiction space better than anybody in America. I mean, he's that good at it. He called me and we, I put a million dollars in it. And uh, it was a big investment for me. 
it's a big investment for me. I don't do million dollar deals. I do half million dollar deals. So personally, it just took off. Uh, he was acquisition oriented. He just wasn't good at keeping track of his books. My equity in that was worth 40-something million dollars at one time. Near zero. I lost everything. I never sold anything. I did put some people that I know into it at 15 when they went public, and I got them out at 30 when it doubled. But I didn't sell mine. He also put money behind Vaco, a recruiting and consulting company. You know, we had to have really deep pockets there because what they would do is they would, they would get something going and then they would acquire it. They would get a guy from, let's say, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and they'd have a guy that'd been with a competitor over there and they'd set him up in business and get him to acquire something, give him some startup capital, and get him going. Then they would keep feeding him money and getting more equity in it, and the money source was us. So we ended up having a financing a lot of their acquisitions. He described me as scrappy, which I was first offended by and then came to love. Sherry Deutschman's fulfillment company, LetterLogic, also benefited from Birch's confidence and capital. There was a time when one of the board members was questioning the fact that I paid for a 100% of the employee's insurance and all the other benefits and the profit share. And he was complaining about it. And he said, you're awful good to your employees. And Lucius looked at him and said, shut up. She's making money. And these days, he still has money in the restaurant business with steakhouses and sports bars run by a guy named Shane Morrison. He's dynamite, I'll tell you. He's done a super job. I mean, pulled it all together and built it. Which It's a big company now. I'm going to say it's $70 million. Birch's partner and mentor, Jack Massey, has been gone for more than 30 years now. Uh, Massey... I bought Massey out six months before he died. I had an agreement with Massey that he couldn't do anything that I didn't approve of. I couldn't do anything that he didn't approve of. Many recognize his name only from the Belmont Business School. 25 years ago, Jack Massey wanted to start an evening MBA program for the working professional. And he emphasized ethics and social responsibility. The Massey Graduate School of Business has our After Massey, MBA I mean, program. you know, my money, my money bag was gone. All I had was the contacts and what capital I'd acquired and the banks. Well, since then, too, I started another company called Collateral Guarantee. And uh, Collateral Guarantee is a debt guarantee fund. We guarantee bank debt that for unbankable companies, essentially. You got a little company, let's say a couple of million dollars, they got a little cash flow, they need some expansion capital, need a million dollars, they go to the bank and we we'll give them the guarantee that the bank will give them the money. For that, we get equity. 
we've had three funds. One first fund was $25 million, second fund was 35 and the last fund was 50 First fund is lost money. Second fund is going to break even. The fourth fund, third fund is going to make money. There's not a rhythm to there's not a rhythm to good people. You just either find them or you don't. But we could do as many deals as I want to do. I mean, how many could I do a year? I could do 12 a year. I don't have the money to do 12. <laughs> and I don't have the desire to do it anymore. You know, as I told somebody the other day, I'm in the business right now of harvesting and not planting. I'm not planting seeds anymore, I'm harvesting. Doesn't mean I haven't got some seed power and there's a few seeds I'd like to plant, but I'm not in that business anymore. Uh, I'll have one or two meetings a week, not more than that, but I mean, or go see a company that we're involved with. Then on the weekends, you know, I go fishing or I go hunting, or, and that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe at ec.co slash circleback and follow, rate, and review the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Circleback is made possible by the generous support of the Beth and Randy Chase family. Also, a thank you to our media partner, the Nashville Post. Keep your pulse on all things Nashville business and more by subscribing to their newsletter at nashvillepost.com. And a shout out to our friends at Lightning 100 for supporting the show. A big thanks to our team, from our creator and executive producer, Greg Allen. Script writing by Demetria Kaladimos. And a big thank you to the rest of the EC staff. I'm Clark Buckner, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Circle Back.